Welcome to session 33 of the Bible in a Year commentary. If you started this series on the 1st of January, then today should be the 2nd of February. Today we'll be looking at Leviticus 11 to 13 and Psalm 33. But so far in Leviticus, we've read through the Israelite rituals and the ordination of the priests. Both are pivotal in defining the Israelites' relationship with God. The book opened with detailed instructions on ritual sacrifices. Each of these served a unique purpose in affirming the Israelites' commitment to God. We had the burnt offering, the grain offering, the peace offering, the sin offering, and even the wave offering. What was interesting about the sin offering was that it was only for unintentional sins. There was no offering for intentional sins. And then we transitioned to the priests. We read through their preparation for service. They were washed, clothed, and anointed, preparing them to serve in God's presence. And then things turned sour. After the priests make their first offerings, two of Aaron's sons decide to do things their way rather than God's way. They used their own incense, and in that moment, they were struck down by God. It was a key moment, reminding the people that the ultimate result of choosing things your way rather than God's way leads to death. Aaron was then told that he and his descendants would not drink before entering the tabernacle. It may have been the case that his two sons were drunk, and that's what led them to behave how they did. So let's jump in with today's reading, Leviticus 11 to 13. The focus of these chapters is all about cleanliness. Not in the sense of having a shower to get clean, but the idea of certain things can contaminate you so that you are unworthy to enter God's presence. The first category we get is clean and unclean foods. God lays out a list of animals it's okay to eat and animals that are unclean and should not be eaten. With our modern heads, we can often think that these animals were banned because they were unhealthy or because they would have been difficult to cook well without risking food poisoning. The reality was that these were animals that, for whatever reason, were considered ritually unclean. It may be because they didn't have a clear category to fit into. For example, amphibians, which are animals that aren't fish, but are happily living in water and on land. These are forbidden. The reason for this might be that there was an ancient Near Eastern association with mixtures of stuff and being unclean. Later on, we see that different kinds of cattle or crops weren't allowed to crossbreed, and garments weren't allowed to be made of different kinds of material. Remember the Nephilim from back in Genesis 6? They were an unholy mix of spiritual being and human being. Because God's people had to be clean people and avoid anything unclean, these animals were then forbidden. There were no offerings made for people to eat one of these animals. They would have just been cut off from the community. However, there are offerings made for those who accidentally touch one of these animals. Next are the rules around women after giving birth. Again, this can seem so foreign to us today. How dare you say a woman is unclean after giving birth? But the thinking at the time was that it takes a lot out of a woman to give birth. She loses a lot of fluids and blood. This loss would have made her less whole, and so she needed time to recover. It would have been wrong for her to enter God's presence not fully whole. It's also worth mentioning that while a woman brings a sin offering after giving birth, that doesn't mean she's done anything wrong. Sin is also what we call the contaminating force that is opposed to God. Because she has lost a lot of her life force, a woman may be considered contaminated by sin in a way that is not her fault and it's not held against her. You may think this is all unfair, but God is really trying to bring home a point here. We've seen this before. Everything needed to be perfect in the tabernacle for God's presence to come down. The priests had to be perfect, clean and whole, to work in God's presence. And the same applies to everyone else, including women who have given birth. Anything that could even be considered to make them unclean or not whole needed to be dealt with before they could be brought back into God's presence. Finally, we have rules on skin diseases. 
This is perhaps a clear example of how something would make you unclean. A disease, particularly at this time, was a symbol of death. We see it less with modern medicine, but this stuff would literally waste away your flesh. In many ways, a skin disease is a physical example of how sin works. Both infect and contaminate and then spread outwards. Again, this contamination needs to be dealt with before someone can re-enter God's presence. We get a similar metaphor for sin in tomorrow's reading. But just to clarify, because of the work Jesus did at the cross and because of the new relationship we have with God, this stuff does not make us unclean today. Jesus makes us completely clean and pure. Let's jump into Psalm 33. This is the first psalm we've read since Psalm 2 that isn't attributed to King David. Instead, this psalm is anonymous. It fits into the category of praise psalm. Here is a summary of the structure. I would recommend checking out the written version of this commentary in the description to see the structure properly for your psalm. So we start with verses 1 to 3, a call to praise. Then verses 4 to 9, praising the word of the Lord. Verses 10 to 12, praising the counsel of the Lord. Verses 13 to 19, praising the Lord's eye and his might. And then verses 20 to 22, concluding declarations of trust. The psalm opens with a call to those who are upright and righteous to praise God. They are to shout for joy, give thanks, sing songs and play instruments. It then lists a number of reasons why. The first is the word of the Lord. God's word maintains order through righteousness and justice. It's one of the primary ways that we see God's faithful love as we read of his promises. It is also through God's word that heaven and earth and all that are in them are created. Because of this, everyone should fear God and be in awe of him. Next up is the Lord's counsel, his plans, purpose, and leading. While the plans of humans will often lead them to be frustrated, blessed are those who allow themselves to be counseled and led by God. After that, we see a connection between the eye of the Lord and his might. God sees all things. Nothing is missing from his sight. He even sees the intentions of our heart. Humans might look to kings to save them. But the reality is a king isn't saved by a great army or strong warriors or war horses. Might belongs to God. And with his eye, he's able to see the hearts of all. Those who love him and those who do not. And so the psalm draws to a conclusion on a declaration of trust. We will wait on the Lord as we trust in him. Finally, we end with a request of God. Be faithful and loving to us. From this psalm, we see the power and authority of God in every area of our lives. As we read through these words, this truth should lead us to a place of praise and trust.